DiscerningHearts.com in cooperation with the Dominican Friars of the province of St. Albert the Great presents St. Catherine of Siena, her life and teachings with Father Thomas McDermott. Father McDermott is a Dominican priest and region of studies of the province of St. Albert the Great. He is the author of Filled with All the Fullness of God, An Introduction to Catholic Spirituality, and Catherine of Siena, Spiritual Development in Her Life and Teaching. Proclaimed a Doctor of the Church in 1970, St. Catherine of Siena is considered one of the great mystical doctors of the Church. Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI has said that she still speaks to us today and impels us to walk courageously toward holiness to be ever more fully disciples of the Lord. St. Catherine of Siena, Her Life and Teachings with Father Thomas McDermott. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Father McDermott, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. To be able to talk about St. Catherine of Siena, to learn about her life, to really kind of break open her teachings is just such a blessing. Thank you so much for allowing us to learn from you. You're welcome, Chris. And I'm always really enthused to talk about St. Catherine of Siena because I think she's kind of a hidden gem in the church, uh, even for us Dominicans. And she was a Dominican herself. So uh, I'm very glad to be here. How did you first come across her? Well, I always tell people it wasn't love at first sight because (laughs) uh, uh, I found it difficult getting into her major work, which is the dialogue. Mm-hmm. And uh, I tried that when, uh, when I was a Dominican student brother. That's what we call our seminarians. A fresh translation in English of the dialogue had come out when I was in the studium. That was around 1981, I believe. I tried reading it. I didn't make a serious attempt, maybe 10 pages, and I put it down. And I was not to pick it up again until about probably 14 or 15 years ago. When uh, at the Angelicum in Rome, I uh, signed up for a course on St. Catherine of Siena under Sister Mary O'Driscoll, an Irish Dominican sister who spent her life studying St. Catherine. And uh, she gave us various options in the course uh, to pursue, and one of them would involve, it involved uh, reading more of the dialogue than I'd ever read before. And so I, I wanted something to force me to do that. So I read a major chunk of the dialogue for the first time. And as Sister Mary always said, you know, it can be a little slow going, but ever so often you come across nuggets of gold that really make you light up and Mm -hmm. and feel like it's worth it. So that was only about 12 years ago, I guess. It's, I think maybe some, when they try to come to know her, begin reading the accounts of her life, which for many seem almost, can we say, surreal. Do we have a tendency, Father, potentially to dismiss it because we think it's overly pious presentation of her life? Uh, Very much so. And, uh, you know, Catherine's reputation initially spread not so much because of her spiritual writings like the dialogue and her many, many letters and prayers, but because of her confessor's biography of her. Raymond of Capua was her confessor. He was a Dominican friar. He was also a close friend of hers. And in the years after her death, good 10 years, I think, he put together a wonderful biography of St. Catherine of Siena. But at the end of the day, it's still a 13th century work. It's almost 800 years old. And we shouldn't be surprised that there's so many differences in the way the book is written 
I suppose what's more surprising is that there aren't more differences. But Catherine's reputation spread principally because of Raymond's biography of her, which is still in print. And indeed, there are things in that biography, as we should expect, you know, if we're knowledgeable of, of differences in, in the various uh, phases of history, that can be jarring and can put you off. But when you study other medieval saints, I think Catherine comes out looking pretty good. There are other saints that are even more jarring and some of their ascetical practices, uh, mortification of the flesh, and so on. Should we really truly be all that surprised when we read those works, when we have in our own contemporary experiences people like Padre Pio? When you look at his life, if you were to read it on paper, it would seem extraordinary, maybe even mm-hmm. impossible, but yet we have all this pictorial evidence and firsthand experience of those who are still living that indeed many of these things are very possible. Yes, very possible. Well, I think, you know, I believe that everything Raymond wrote uh, was probably literally true. Uh, it's uh, the biography that he wrote of her is uh, is an unusual biography because at the end of every section he cites his sources. And when he can't remember exactly what he said, he admits it. I just think that's a very unusual feature for a 13th century book about a saint. But you know, as I've come to study and think about St. Catherine of Siena over the years, now probably I've been doing this for 15 years, I find all the things that Raymond writes about in his book very believable. I think for modern people, we're so secularized to an extent that we're not even aware of it. These features of the lives of the saints many times are just unimaginable. It's, uh, we've, we've lost that sense of the supernatural and the transcendent. I think it's important to just remind folks just how respected Raymond of Capua was of his time. This was a man who rose in the ranks of the Dominican order. That's right. Yeah, he became, after Catherine's death, and she predicted it, that he would become a master general. That's the superior general of the Dominican order. And he was a reformist. He wanted to get the Dominican friars back to the original charism of St. Dominic, and that was uh, something that was very dear to Catherine's heart, too, and and by and large, he succeeded. But he was a canon lawyer. He was a very uh, educated man for his day from a noble family, very rational person, and um, and I think it must have had a very expansive heart to have been so touched by St. Catherine of Siena. And I would say just that St. Catherine's greatest miracle, I mean, there are a lot of uh, of the usual miracles you would expect of certain saints to be found in Raymond's biography and some that are exceptional. But the greatest miracle, I think, is the effect that she just had on ordinary people, that she was what we would call a people person. And uh, the accounts of her indicate that many times people would come weighed down with so many problems and they would go away laughing. They were so happy after talking with her. And uh, one time she was surrounded by as many as a thousand people you know, who just wanted to see her or even touch her, if that's all they could do. It was the age of faith. I think it's important, too, that we have a sense of Siena, of this area of Tuscany that mm-hmm. is so influenced by the Dominicans of the time. Right. Well, when Catherine was living, and Italy was not a single country, that came centuries later, around 1870, with Garibaldi uniting the Italian peninsula. 
14th century, let me say the 1300s when she lived, Italy consisted of a number of city-states and republics and kingdoms, and Siena was uh, a little city-state, quite a powerful city-state for its day. It was always in competition with its larger neighbor, Florence. Siena and the history of Italy remained uh, loyal to the popes, generally speaking, whereas Florence rebelled a few times and was placed under papal interdict. There were... um, many different types of government uh, in Siena. Uh, they would have coups and a different type of government would come in. I think it's fair to say that certain noble families, aristocratic families took turns at various times in the history of, uh, of uh, governing the city. I think we can begin to explore the, the life of this incredible saint. The, her lifespan would only be, what, 33 years? 33, right. Wow. And Yet it began at such an early age for her. She talked to us, if you would, Father, about her parents, about her family, this community, essentially, she was born into. From all indications, they were uh, an ordinary Catholic family for the day. Uh, they went to Mass. They lived just a few, about a block, a small block from the Dominican Church and Priory, which was just up the hill from their house in Siena. The church is still standing in Domenico, and the uh, the house is uh, is there, highly decorated into a sanctuary now. It's kind of hard to imagine where the house is in the midst of all the marble and stuff, but uh, it gives you an idea of how close the church and the house of St. Catherine were. She grew up in a family of something like 24 children. I never really made a point of it to remember exactly how many. Mm-hmm. Her father was Giacomo Benincasa. Her mother was Lapa. And uh, Lapa was a practicing Catholic, as was her husband, but Lapa was a bit dense. She could never understand St. Catherine of Siena or her desire to commit herself wholeheartedly to the Lord by taking a vow of celibacy and doing all the things that she did. So they were always on two different wavelengths. But Lapa eventually uh, relented and allowed Catherine to do as she pleased. But earlier than that, her father understood her. Uh, father, the father reported that uh, he had once seen a white dove or something that looked like one land on the head of St. Catherine in her bedroom in the family house. And, and he took that as a sign, a sign from God, that she was marked out as a special person and that he should allow her to do as she please, pleased. And so... Um, she was allowed after a certain point, after much opposition in the family, not to marry and to uh, spend time with the Lord in a little space under the staircase of their family house, which was like a little hermitage for her. And she stayed there for three years talking to the Lord, and he was talking to her. And it was, uh, as I said, like a novitiate experience for her. We'll return in just a moment to St. Catherine of Siena, her life and teachings with Father Thomas McDermott. Discerning Hearts is a spiritual retreat stop for those who travel on the digital sea. Archbishop George Lucas of Omaha has said that Discerning Hearts is a trusted resource for Catholic spirituality and teaching. He supports it as an apostolate for the new evangelization that brings the good news to every corner of the world. Discerning Hearts is an official 501c3 nonprofit apostolate. It creates engaging multimedia specializing in audio productions known as podcasts and radio broadcasts, faithful to the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church 
and its rich, authentic spiritual tradition. By visiting the website discerninghearts.com or obtaining the free apps that are available for Android phones, iPhones, and iPads, listeners have available to them the best of teachings from Archbishop George Lucas, Father Timothy Gallagher, Deacon James Keating, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, Monsignor John Essif, Joseph Pierce, Mike Aquilina, Omar Gutierrez, Teresa Monahan, Sharon Doran, and so many others, as well as all the episodes from Inside the Pages with Chris McGregor. And there, too, you'll find devotionals of every kind to listen to and enter into prayer with, like the Holy Rosary of Our Lady, the Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, and countless others. For many around the world, Discerning Hearts is a daily source of inspiration, spiritual nourishment, and encouragement. The world is looking for answers, for spiritual guidance and authentic discernment, for relationship and community. Please keep the work of Discerning Hearts in your prayers, and be sure to visit discerninghearts.com. A Prayer of St. Catherine of Siena My nature is fire. In your nature, eternal God, I shall come to know my nature. And what is my nature, boundless love? It is fire, because you are nothing but a fire of love. And you have given humankind a share in this nature, for by the fire of love you created us. And so, with all other people and every created thing, you made them out of love. Oh, ungrateful people, what nature has your God given you? His very own nature. Are you not ashamed to cut yourself off from such a noble thing through the guilt of deadly sin? Oh, eternal Trinity, my sweet love, you, light, give us light. You, wisdom, give us wisdom. You, supreme strength, strengthen us. Today, eternal God, let our cloud be dissipated so that we may perfectly know and follow your truth in truth with a free and simple heart. God, come to our assistance. Lord, make haste to help us. Amen. We now return to St. Catherine of Siena, Her Life and Teachings, with Father Thomas McDermott. She would have some rather strong mystical encounters, even at a young age. She did. Uh, The very first one, which kind of set in motion her whole spiritual life, happened when she was uh, maybe six or seven. And she uh, had been sent to the other side of Siena by her mother to deliver a message to her older sister, Bonaventura. And she was with her slightly older brother, Stefano. They were both children. Uh, He was going with her. He was leading the way. And as they left Bonaventura's house and they were coming down this steep hill 
and could see their house and the church of San Domenico above it on the other side. She looked at the church and she saw above the church a vision, a vision of Christ dressed as a pope with a, like a papal tiara surrounded by saints, one of which was St. Dominic. The Lord didn't say anything to her, but he smiled. He blessed her and she was completely transfixed. I mean, it was such a beautiful, attractive vision for her. And at a certain point when her little brother Stefano realized that she wasn't following him, he turned around and yelled at her, you know, hurry up or something. And um, she diverted her glance from the vision to respond to him. And then when she looked up again into the sky, it was gone and she cried bitterly. And uh, she drew a spiritual lesson from that, never to take your eyes or your thoughts off the Lord. But that vision in which, as I said, Christ said nothing, that changed her whole life. From then on, she was never the same, but she was only six years old. You know, we might have expected for a child that age to have, a, you know, a, a vision of the child Jesus or the Holy Family or something, but it was Christ dressed as a Pope, smiling at her, blessing her as if to give her a commission. Uh, that was the beginning of everything. Yeah, it is interesting to know the end of the story in regards to her involvement with the papacy down the road. Mm-hmm. Well, she lived very during very difficult times. The, the plague, uh, bubonic plague, struck Siena and the rest of Europe so many times. It seemed like the end of the world. The papacy was in turmoil, not respected. Uh, well, at the beginning of her life, the, the pope had been in residence in Avignon and France off and on for something like 70 years, various popes. She was instrumental in bringing the pope back to Siena. And, uh, but then after that, things in a sense got worse for the papacy. And by the time she died in 1380, there were actually three popes or one pope and two anti-popes. So it was a very confusing time which to live. And yet, when you read her letters, you know, she's so positive. There was nothing cynical or um, depressing about her at all. She's always very positive and optimistic. You've uh, written in the past on this particular moment in her life that the flame of love of God had been enkindled in her heart, Mm -hmm. that that Raymond felt that was an important thing to put into the biography. Right, right. And uh, that flame was never extinguished. It always continued to burn in her heart to the end of her life. I wonder, Father McDermott, if there are those children today that have those kind of encounters, maybe nothing as profound as what Catherine experienced, but yet how would we ever know? Because I, I, I wonder if we steep our children in that awareness of the holy, like mm-hmm. Catherine seemed to have been. Mm-hmm. Well, I think in families where they do steep their children in the holy, as you, as you say, that uh, such things do uh, happen. I'm thinking of a family in my own parish here in Chicago where I think that uh, uh, such a thing would be very possible. Uh, you know, back in the Middle Ages, uh, I think in, the, in, the, in my opinion, the opinion of others far more learned, the Middle Ages was really kind of the highlight of, of, of human civilization. There was just more oxygen in the air when it came to faith and the supernatural. And I think we do it a disservice if we describe it all as superstition. It wasn't. Uh, Some of it 
drifted over into that. But, but on the whole, you know, the faith that produced the medieval Gothic cathedrals, the chants, and particularly the, the beautiful array of saints we have, all one different from another, you know, that, those are the effects of genuine faith. And I think families who support that kind of atmosphere of the sacred, that it could, it could happen again, and it's probably happening now. And I, w- I would say it's probably happening now in places like uh, uh, Africa, in, in Christian and Catholic families. I lived myself nearly 20 years in, in Lagos, Nigeria. I can imagine it happening in places like that that are not so touched by the secularist uh, worldview that sees uh, everything in a kind of materialist way. In this particular vision of the royal Christ, this left her, I think as you would put it, thirsty. <laughs> Just the word thirsty in relation to wanting to know in a more personal way, Jesus Christ. I mean, I think, don't you think, Father, that today we spend so much time trying to learn things that we miss the opportunities for those, that otherness? I mean, I don't know how else to describe it. Where, How do we intellectually thirst for something? Mm-hmm. Well, we're, we're bombarded by so much data and information today. Uh, but how much of it has any you know, direct application on the quality of our lives, you know, is another question. Catherine did talk about the necessity of being thirsty. And this was her way of talking about desire, which is a, a perennial theme or was a perennial theme in medieval spirituality that we have to have desire, desire for God, desire for union with him. And that our desire for God, which uh, many times is implicit or latent, and leads us to, and because of our fallen human nature, leads us to the wrong places and people become drug addicts and all the rest, is a reflection of God's desire to be in a relationship with us. So St. Thomas Aquinas and probably the other scholastic theologians said that human desire for God to be united with something and ultimately with God is, uh, is a vestige, that's the word they used, of God's desire to be with us. And Catherine would sometimes use the word of hungry or thirsty. And um, I think that's one reason, you know, because we've lost that sense of desire and we have a feeling of um, complacency, I think, when it's come to the faith. And we've lost a sense, even a little sense, curiosity in what the faith is about or what Jesus said in a particular parable, what it might mean. It's a reflection of a, of a lack of desire, which really doesn't serve us well. And uh, the result of a lack of desire is a kind of boring faith life you know, that doesn't really impact our day-to-day lives. So the necessity of desire is uh, still very much uh, there, and, uh, and Catherine talks about it. In our future conversations, we'll, we'll talk more about other events in her particular life. But in reflecting on the close of this episode, what would you take away from what we can learn from this, these childhood experiences of Catherine? Well, Catherine had a great love for the Lord. And uh, one of the ways in which she experienced that mystically and in 
in, uh, in the way of analogy would be through uh, mystical marriage or mystical, mystical engagement with the Lord. We don't really know which it was in her mind. It might've been more like an engagement than a mystical marriage. That was kind of a, a, a flowering of what happened to her earlier in life. And it's the flowering of ordinary baptismal grace, if I can call baptismal grace or in any sense ordinary. So this, the seeds for her life of grace were planted early on through baptism, through listening to the words of scripture at mass, uh, then by reception of the Eucharist, which she decided to do every day. And, uh, and they germinated, these seeds germinated and, uh, and her love expanded. It went from a love of Jesus and eventually deepened into a love also for his, his body, the body of Christ, the church. Yeah, I also have to think about saints are so often born out of, we talked about this already, but in those families that they challenge them, but they also are encouraging them and then they surround them with an environment to be able to flourish. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think it would have been hard for the Benincasas to not have done that, uh, given the times in which they lived. We know that in this busy house household of nearly 26, 27 people, that because of the plague, there was at least one member of the extended family there who was not a child of Lapa and Giacomo. And he became this distantly related relative, entered the Dominican order in the priory right up the hill from her house. I think for that to have happened says something good about the religious atmosphere in the, in the house, in the family of the Benincasas. And Catherine tells the story too, how, you know, when she would see the Dominican friars walking by her house, she was so impressed that when they would pass, she would run out as a little girl and, and kiss their footsteps. Mm. And what, what she enjoyed most about the Dominicans or loved most about the Dominicans was that it was an order that was founded for other people. It was an order that was founded for the salvation of souls. And this, uh, she was uh, extremely dedicated to the salvation of souls. Mm. Wonderful. Do you have any final thoughts on this particular episode, Father McDermott? Well, I want to say that one of the most interesting features about St. Catherine's life was uh, she didn't live in a religious community. She was a member of what we would call today a third order. So she lived at home. She wore a type of religious habit is that she attracted around herself a a voluntary community of mostly young people who were drawn from, in many cases, noble families in Siena. And she was not of noble birth. Her father was a merchant. She could not read or write. Uh, The young women from noble families usually could read and write, but there were many, many women like Catherine of ordinary stock who, who could not. There were men and there were women in this group who just enjoyed being around her and that when she did, after several years, move out from Siena to uh, places like Florence and then Pisa and then Avignon in France and then Rome, uh, this group, which is rather fluid, people would come and go, went with her. And uh, her detractors called them the Catranati, which means the Catranized ones, those who kind of came under her her spell, we could say. 
And all of them after her death, many of them after her death, went on for rather illustrious uh, careers, if we can use that word, in the church as religious uh, superiors and, and what have you. And many of them entered cloistered no uh, monasteries of nuns. So they were an impressive group of young people. They were uh, from a higher social class as she was, and, but they preferred to be with her. And through them, she must have had tremendous influence in the, in the, in the life of the CNE citizens and probably in their politics, too. Mm, fascinating. I look forward to our future conversations, Father McDermott. Thank you. You've been listening to St. Catherine of Siena, Her Life and Teachings with Father Thomas McDermott. To hear and or to download this episode along with many others, go to discerninghearts.com. The series was based on the book, Catherine of Siena, Spiritual Development in Her Life and Teaching by Father Thomas McDermott. This has been a production of discerninghearts.com in cooperation with the Dominican Friars of the province of St. Albert the Great. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Join us next time for St. Catherine of Siena, Her Life and Teachings with Father Thomas McDermott.